I want to know what what it's been like for you through that public dragging through the mud. Where are you now with stuff? You know, um, it, it's been a public sort of a, an event for the, the sake of the public. We haven't had a lot of conversation either. So this is sort of very free form. The idea is that I'm learning about you in real time, like in this conversation, you know, so if you could shed some light on what all that's been like. I guess I'm interviewing you now. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. Psilocybin mushrooms are not new to the human experience. While they may seem like a recent discovery in mental health, these mushrooms have been considered sacred since the Paleolithic period for their ability to heal the human spirit and therefore the mind. Sanctuary Church is reviving the traditions of our ancestors for a modern world as a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. Sanctuary invites like-minded individuals to become a member and commune with us. Join us for Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit P-S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y dot org to become a member or for more information. Omar Thomas, welcome to Civil Seven Says. Hey, thank you, Eric. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's a... Uh, an unexpected conversation, a very unexpected interview uh, on this show. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and kind of how we came to be sitting here today? Sure, man. Um, well, my name is Omar Thomas. I'm the founder of Diaspora Psychedelic Society, as you know. Um, um, we've been sort of um, engaged in an ongoing dialogue, non-dialogue for, for years now, you and I. Um, since we first met in Jamaica years ago. Um, uh, I, recently, I was contacted by a, a, one of the larger media outlets to sort of give an interview about the time that, you know, how we met, how things happened, and to sort of um, shed some light on some of the public stuff that had happened between us in the past and, and between you and other people. I gave the interview, um, but then soon after giving the interview, I sort of had sort of started having trepidation about it. I was feeling as if, um, you know, it was a, an old story, first of all, you know, and and why would a, a, an outlet that was so large be interested in something that was so old, you know, so I reached back out to them to sort of try to get um, them to, to perhaps, you know, make a more balanced effort, you know, to address the story, give you a chance maybe to, to have some say, um, anything that would just, you know, maybe make my bad feeling go away about it all. Um, but I didn't hear from them. So my bad feeling persisted, uh, which led me to say, you know what, the hell with all this, let me just reach out directly to you, you know, which, as you know, I did. I, I let you know sort of the scenario, what was going on, and um, and that sort of has us here talking now. You know, it, I guess there's a lot of ground to cover uh, years-wise, and we've both, you know, taken a, our own turns and our own paths. And so I'm interested in seeing how things have turned out, um, where where you are now. And really, uh, you know, my point was in unburdening myself of this feeling I was having about you. And it's been years of having the nagging feeling and not doing anything about it. And, you know, in, in trying to, to walk this, this path, you know, that we're trying to walk, it's sort of 
rose to the forefront that it's time I just handled this, you know? Um, and this sort of, in my mind, the interview um, was sort of a catalyst for something that should have happened maybe a long time ago or is happening right now at the right time. I don't know, you know, but I'm just, I'm happy to be in a place where we can at least have a dialogue, uh, sort of man to man, hopefully an authentic dialogue, you know, one where, you know, I don't, I don't hope to pull any punches. I don't have to throw too many either, but <laughs> just, just, you know, um, again, if we can just tell it like it is, man, and, you know, let the chips fall where they may, I think, uh, listeners would appreciate it. I think um, the two of us would appreciate it and we owe it to ourselves. I think that's the example that needs to be set within the psychedelic community. There have been so many instances of individuals, not just myself, but individuals who are being presented in kind of this single whole and without the full picture of who the person is. And, you know, that happens, you know, society-wide and all the time, you know, as you and I both know, human beings are very dynamic creatures, particularly if we're going to work in, in this field with the medicine and seeing how dynamic people are and really supporting people through their weakness, through their trauma, through their faults and, and you know, failings, then we've got to be able to acknowledge those ourselves uh, has always been something, you know, been very, very valuable and important to me. And, you know, one of the things about our relationship and what I've always seen from you is that you very much do seem to operate from a place of conscience, conscientiousness. You are conscious and um, I really just have always appreciated, even though we, there's been, you know, many things, I guess, or a few things that we haven't really seen eye to eye on, um, but I've always seen you stay true to what you really believe is the right thing. And, you know, I think as, as, as members of this community, this public psychedelic community, if we're going to be showing up for people to help them through their most vulnerable places and parts of themselves, then we've got to be able to do that ourselves. We've got to be able to confront that ourselves. And, uh, you know, I've just always seen you operate from a place of integrity. You follow your conscience. You listen to your heart. I've always, you know, whenever you have come up in conversation, I've always said that I know Omar has a good heart and that's where he's working from. So, you know, this is just another example of that. Uh, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I, I haven't always been as gracious, <laughs> but um, it's it's because for some time now I've, I've, um, sort of submitted my life to to living it a certain way. Um, I, I've been close to death a few times in life, um, had a kidney transplant, all the kind of stuff you know. I sort of made a deal a long time ago with both the, the mushroom and then with life itself and then with myself um, about how I would live going forward. And I've been trying, you know, to the best of my ability to stay present with that, with commitment, you know, and live it on a, on a present daily basis. It, it's through that lens that I judged you at that time. It was through the lens of, well, I guess I could just go through, I guess what my what my issues were with you. Is that okay? I mean, yeah, I was going to suggest that we kind of just go back to the beginning and and talk about because I, I, you know, there's three sides, right? There's my side, your side, and, and the, the whole <laughs> the whole side. Yeah, okay, um, okay. So yeah, I'd love to explore that. Sure, man. Well, all right. Um, back 
when we met in Treasure Beach, you know, those years ago, um, it, it was the idea, I, I realized that you were a person um, from outside Jamaica who had found their way into the heart of Jamaica, um, into the heart of a community in Jamaica. Um, you are somebody from America who found their way into a Rasta community, um, began to live by certain principles, you know, read books that I know people who look like you and sound like you don't read <laughs> on a regular basis or as a, a matter of regular uh, business. So um, all those things sort of, you know, really quickly made me get a sense of, man, this is the kind of guy I could, you know, know or get, you know, be a friend to that kind of thing. Only because, again, it was so, so unusual to have found somebody that, again, looked like you, spoke like you. I don't want to say white because that's not what I really mean. I just mm -hmm. meant, you know, from outside Jamaica, from outside mm -hmm. the culture and how you had authentically sort of been accepted and embraced by Jamaican culture and by community here. That's what felt good about uh, our meeting, you know, despite any issues that are, you know, inside the community um, or in the area. Um, and, and this is where I'm coming to this conversation from a place of, um, from inside of community. You know, mm -hmm. I'm reaching out to you as somebody who, from the same community, um, you know, you know, my family comes, goes back to, to Jamaica. Um, I still have family here now that I still haven't met, some that I have, you know, up in Clarendon. Um, so that's been a neat thing. One day we'll talk about that, I guess. But, um, you know, so it was important to me that you were here doing things in a certain way. And, then I began to evaluate you and how you were doing things and how this mushroom business was coming about. And what sort of saddened me at first and then made me angry, or I chose to get angry about, was it looked like you shed the ideas of community in favor of uh, commerce, you know, in favor of a more colonial mindset. Um, and, and that that's what smarted, you know, it's something that Vikes and I talked about. I know your viewers don't, may not know Vikes, but, um, you know, uh, it, it was this idea that you gave up something authentic about yourself in exchange for planting a flag in the psychedelic space, you know, in exchange for wanting to be some sort of personality. At least that's how I perceived it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I don't know what the reality is, but it, it, it was a strong enough vibe. Um, I saw you sort of get territorial and want to protect the space from other people and I you know it's just not the way I live like the space doesn't need protecting there's nothing of yours to protect here you know um mm -hmm. it, just, it just felt it, it that vibe just felt wrong you know and that was the beginning of of the undoing of certain things mm -hmm. you know that, that I thought you know despite all these good things in favor you know of you as a person as an individual um that I could respect there were these other issues that were more personal you know, that I couldn't do anything about um, because of they were very personal. Our relationship was new enough that I didn't feel I had the place to bring it up um, in a constructive way. You know, mm. I just, did, just didn't feel it, you know. So, um, you know, my reaction was to separate myself, separate myself completely um, in the way that I, that I do <laughs> um, and then just let the chips fall where they may. You know, but I didn't want to do something I didn't feel good about. I didn't you know, like some of the things I was hearing in the background that other people were thinking and feeling, you know, um, about how you were going about things. 
you know, so I, I guess that's, that would be my, my chief complaint. Um, you know, the idea also that you have been doing mushrooms for, for years and years and years, for a long time. You know, I come from a background of having traveled a bit, you know, to sit with healers and curanderos and people who could impart knowledge and sort of give a framework for the work. And it always was curious to me why you hadn't done something like that. Not that you have to, not that you have to copy what I've done or other people have done, but just this idea that, you know, being autodidactic or, or self-learning, it's really, it's a great thing. You know, it's not something I put down. I'm a homeschooling father, so I'm all for self-education and for experience as, as the way of learning. But when it comes to doing this work for the public or with other people, to me, it seems a different set of standards have to, to come out, you know, that we can't, can't seem to be building a monument to ourselves. You know, and I, I sort of saw that danger. At least I thought I was looking at a dangerous danger signs for you coming up and that it would only lead to a certain kind of trouble. You know, and I thought, you know, principles wise, no matter what the potential benefit of being in business with you would be, whatever the potential benefits of being, um, you know, sort of pioneering in the space and doing this in, in, a, in a, you know, a commercial way rather than a private way, um, still in service, of course, but um, that, that it would just invoke a whole different set of standards, you know, um, and I just saw a big gulf between what, those, what I thought those things should be and where things were. That's basically it, man. Yeah, no, I can appreciate so much of what you're saying and I acknowledge that there is a huge portion of it that is, is true. Um, as, I reflect, as I reflect on it, there is an incredible irony to me in the fact that so much of my protectivism was, there were, there were two prongs to it. One was, was very much, like you say, a kind of a, a selfish um, protection around my identity and my ego in the space. There's no doubt about that. Um, and we can get into more about what kind of triggered that and, and kind of how that arose. Uh, but a huge part of what I felt then, what, what a fear that fueled a lot of this kind of isolationism was a concern that the kind of colonial mindset was going to set its sights on the opportunity around psilocybin in Jamaica. And just like with cannabis, Jamaica was going to get taken advantage of and left out of the cut. Now, you know, <laughs> the, the irony of all this is, you know, is what we fear we often become. And that has been something that I've really been reflecting on deeply in the last, really in the last year, I could say three years, but in the last year acutely, um, I've become very aware of how these fears and paranoias we tend to attract, really working to reprogram my subconscious into a much more inclusive perspective, which is one of the reasons I'm really grateful for sanctuary and the approach that we're taking there, just coming at it as a church allows me to open up so much more uh, without this feeling that, you know, someone's going to take what's mine or take advantage of this situation um, for their own, their own will, their own good. I, I, I do want to touch on this, I guess, self-taught 
approach that I've had. And it's not because I haven't wanted to learn from others. I never felt that I had the financial opportunity to travel to you know, Central America and learn from curanderas and curanderos there. I, I certainly studied them from afar and I worked with a few kind of neo-shamans here in the States and always felt like it was just a horrible appropriation of techniques and cultural artifacts that does a disservice to the traditions actually. And that if I was going to bring this in any form to the, the modern public sphere, then it would need to be in a container that was approachable to a Western mind. You know, it's, it's always incredibly ironic to me that the uh, shamans in Central America couch so much of their practice in Catholicism, <laughs> which is the very ideology that I escaped uh, and fled to the mushrooms from. You know, there's, there's some interesting stuff to explore there. Uh, but really what I think is, you know, the topic of our conversation or, or, or what has really brought us together is this need and to bring people together. And I like, I look back and see how in trying to protect Jamaica and trying to protect myself because of the fear that I had of professionals in the space, not respecting me or because of what I had studied and seen and all of my post-colonial studies, you know, I just, I was operating from a space of fear and lack. And that is ultimately what led me to self segregate and employ tactics that are in opposition to what I really, truly ideologically uh, feel belong anywhere. I mean, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about the intersect of business and friendship. And, you know, I've, I've always been taught that, you know, business partners shouldn't be friends, that it just muddies the waters and causes problems. But that's not what I feel in my heart. That's not, I feel in my heart that if we're going to be intimately involved with people and working to create change and build income, then we need to really know that the people we're working with are, if not in line with us, but we're at least somehow running parallel ethically and ideologically, if that makes sense. No doubt, yeah. I mean, the idea for me is that the principles that guide your life shouldn't change because you're in business or you're in a relationship or friendship. To me, all of life is relationship. Um, if you have an improper relationship to your food, it'll show in your life. An improper relationship to ideas, things, and people, it'll show in your life. So relationship to me is fundamental, um, and I wouldn't do business without it. Uh, now, you know, granted, some relationships are new and and not as solid as others, you know, but there still have to be the, there still has to be the glue, you know, and to me, um, you've got to come together around principles, you know, principles that are larger than I, than any of the individuals involved, principles that are rooted in the truth about things, you know, the truth about uh, so much of, of this work, uh, psychedelic work is divided by race, you know, divided by the so, by so-called race, by the idea mm. that black people can't feel comfortable sitting with white people um, and it's not just an idea, it's a reality. You know, I've been that black person, you know, um, I've been in groups and in conversations with people and, I, and I've heard it and it's common and constant, 
you know, um, so what I found is that instead of ever asking to have a seat at someone else's table, you know, build your own table, mm-hmm. you know, do you do your own thing? Um, mm-hmm. And not that I'm separ- a separatist. I've, I've done, I spent too many years trying to explore what this life is all about to fall for the idea that because you and I look different, we are, are and must be inherently different and mm-hmm. therefore must somehow be at odds or, mm-hmm. or, or must, must not trust each other. Or in the end, it's got to fall apart because we're so different. We're more similar than we're different. We're more humans having a human experience. Now, culturally, we're steeped in different waters. And mm-hmm. those differences can be talked about. They can be shared. They can be explored. So there's nothing insurmountable about any of it. You know, it's all relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you come around a little bit about that or a lot, you know. Um, I feel like it's a lot. You, you, you felt it. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. You well, know, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't feel it then. I felt like I was being, you know, a proper protectionist, and there probably would have been some value in us having a more direct conversation then. I mean, you know, whatever the time wasn't right, and everything happens as as it's supposed to, and uh, you know, I fully accept that because I always thought that in practice, you and I, in practice within the, within the psychedelic space, that you and I were very much in line. I mean, at least what I recall of us trip sitting and honest to God, Omar, you know, you are one of the people who I, I have always said, and I'd love for us to talk about this because I've always said, despite our differences to people that you are one of the most trustworthy people that I've ever seen in the psychedelic space, holding space. Appreciate that. I, I can, and, and, and I feel like we operated, or I don't know how I have been anyway, in a very similar manner. You know, we both have been very hands-off, allowing people to have their experience, just providing a solid presence for people to kind of reflect off of and very non-judgmental and just kind of allowing. So uh, yeah, I'd I'd love for us to kind of talk about how we manage the space uh, for folks as they're they're on a journey and, and see really kind of if there are similarities or differences. You know, that's the, 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 if, if, if you don't mind me saying, the, my understanding of the interview that you were a part of was uh, referring back particularly to this Psychedelics Today statement that revoked their endorsement of my work based on, uh, quote, safety concerns. And so, you know, to be able to talk about our practice uh, and, and explore similarities and differences uh, may prove valuable to ourselves and to the listeners. Yeah, um, I think that absolutely there is overlap, you know, in in our approach to being hands off and so forth. But I think what's more interesting uh, to me is sort of where we diverge. <laughs> um, you know, because we could pat each other on the back and agree, uh, um, but the the fact is that. To me, it was um, more personal, you know? Um, It was about how we were choosing to make the decisions we were making. You know, it was very obvious that you were coming from a fear-based place. And I don't want to go back to that, but it's just still very much, you know, at the heart of of why, even though we could hold space in a similar way or have, you know, commonalities in how we look at things, why it still fell apart, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Because to me, 
the idea of things going seeming so right, then going so wrong, and then being able to recover even from that process is the sort of larger meta, you know, idea going on here, reconciliation, you know, um, the idea that this medicine work and and I mean the private work, not the business of it all, but the day-to-day -day you reasoning with your own mind and your own self about how you're going to deal with things. Um, it, it's at that level that things, you know, fell apart for us because personally, I was able to observe enough fear-based stuff, you know, to know that there would be issues and problems and so forth. But um, I think that it would take a lot of years. I thought it would take a long time before I could get through to you. Psychedelics today and people, I think that as far as safety concerns go, I'm not certain that there was much in the way of um, justification, except for the fact that the opinion was that if someone is sitting in a psychedelic space with another person, there should be X amount or X number of guides, therapists, you know, like there's this idea that was forming around how it should be done at all. I think people were mostly uncomfortable with number one, the fact that you were in a place like Jamaica where you could do a more free form approach that's sort of a bit more authentic as far as medicine work goes, because as you know, it has not been paired with psychiatry and psychology for very long. You know, there are millennia of it being done, not necessarily by lay persons, but by people who had no such affiliation with the medical establishment. So I don't put my stock in trade there either. But by the same token, you know, when it comes to providing services to the public, you know, I think people were uncomfortable with the idea of, hey, there's just this guy out here, you know, doing medicine, he's in charge of medicine, and he says kind of what goes. I think that rubbed people wrong in a kind of way. Um, and, and I don't want to say it, I don't think it's anything to do with jealousy, but it has to do with the fact that it was so such a departure from wherever people come from, where none of this is allowed, where it's, you know, there's no way you can just sit here and do this and there's no way it could be a good thing. <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah. you know there, 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 there's some of that, you know. Um, oh, yeah, and, a lot and, of it. And, 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 and there's the idea that, you know, you were, the fear would poke out, you know, I think people would see it. And when they couldn't see it, they could, they could feel it, you know, um, because even in your word choices, it was always clear that you were sort of <laughs> pissing on your turf, you know, you were, you were marking the ground. And, and, it, and it was either a really forceful uh, sensation, or it was always subtle and sort of lingering that this is what's going on, you know, so that's, that's, of course, going to rub people wrong, they're going to do all kinds of things. But I think they were being careful in their wording. And I think the wording that, that they were safe to use was something to do with safety um, uh -huh. without getting into too much in, in terms of in the way of character and, and, and what the issue really was. Because I don't think it was as clearly defined. You know, I think it, it's just um, you run into a person, you run into a guy or a gal, and you get a sense that you like them or you don't like them. You know, and they do one thing that justifies what you thought already or what you were feeling, and that's all it takes. For some people, you're going to be forever in that category, you know, just because you triggered them already. But, you know, my main concern is, hell, it's been five years for me. I want to know what's different. I want to know about what, what it's been like for you coming from through all that stuff, through, through that public sort of dragging through the mud, 
you know, and everybody feels justified. The people who are making accusations feel justified. You know, you feel justified in the way you're doing things. And I, I just saw it from all these different sides, you know, but where are you now with stuff? You know, um, it, it's been a public sort of a, an event in private. We've, we've not had our words either, but until recently. Um, and, and, and just for the, the sake of the public, we haven't had a lot of conversation either. So this, this talk is sort of very free form, um, not, not scripted. I don't know what we're going to really get into, but the idea is that I'm learning about you in real time, like in this conversation, you know, so if you could shed some light on what all that's been like, I guess I'm interviewing you now. Wow. Wow. And you know, this is, again, this is one of, one of the things that I've always respected about you is you have always been curious about what the other person is going through. Uh, and that's been something that has been a, 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 a journey for me to adapt and adopt. Um, you know, I started out this work very much trying to you know, kind of tell people what their experience was about. And that was because most of my work was done solo. You know, for years and years and years, I did mushrooms by myself. A la Terrence McKenna, thinking that this is the way. Um, and then as I started working with people more extensively, began to see that, oh, I don't know. I don't really know what's going on here. And I need to listen more and allow these folks to kind of explore their experience so that they can uncover what it's really all about. Because I sure can tell them what it's right. about. Right. Um, and it's, it's so, it's so wonderful. You know, I've been really reflecting quite a bit since we opened up a dialogue just maybe last week, you know, and we only had two very brief conversations over the phone uh, since you approached me here. And I have thought so much about all that we've been through because like, I'll, I'll say that one of the things that, that really stung the most uh, on a personal level, you know, when the Psychedelics Today article came out and they, Put it on Facebook, and there was this huge 150 exchange thread. Is that I, I saw a comment from you that said something like, you know, I was there when Michael Meditation spelled to launch kind of thing. And it's that that stung as much as anything because I knew that, you know, I knew Joe particularly and Kyle to some degree had it out for me, even though there was never really any conversation with them you know they came to jamaica and for all intents and purposes had a great time they did you know the last day they were there last day they were there there we did these photo shoots and everybody's smiling and happy and like, what a great time was had and all this and the same thing with Catherine mclean and you know and um but 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 i knew that there was some i knew that there was some frustrations there because you know in all in all honesty one of the things that I have been really uh, skeptical of, I guess, is one thing, and this is this is where my ego really came in and has still peeks its ugly head out. Is you know, I talk about how many mushroom trips I've done and how that I do believe in many ways that is what that's what gives me a certain amount of you know authority or expertise in the space. I mean, that's just you know, that's like a Sherpa. You know, you don't go up a mountain, you don't lead people up a mountain if you haven't been a hundred times yourself. If it's a potentially dangerous mountain and you know joe and kyle came back and we even had a one follow-up phone call and they were like ah oh, you know things were seem good we'd suggest you get a nurse and a therapist other than that you know whatever let's let's do this again kind of thing 
And, you know, I was reluctant to work with them again because they, you know, were these purported experts that were not actually taking the medicine, which I, that's a, that's something that I, I still think is a big issue that needs to be discussed within the community, within the therapeutic community, you know, the protocols are like, I think Compass Pathways is supposed to have one dose as a therapist before you can administer, which seems just ridiculous and incredibly unsafe to me because there is a, as you, you know, there's such a range of experiences that we have to be comfortable with before we can really help others be comfortable. But what this whole thing has done really has really brought to surface the reality that my fears project into my outside world and that the subconscious becomes the conscious. And so it has, while been many years of painful, there's been a lot of hurt. You know, there's been a lot of hurt for myself and for the people that I work with. It's all sincerity. It's been one of my greatest pain points in seeing this kind of public dragging my name around uh, has been knowing that the people that work with me are, you know, also having their names drug through the mud by association. And, you know, I don't really, I don't, I don't really see why there's justification for it because nobody has a conversation with me. You're the first person. This is so, how this just touches me in a way that I can't really even express the fact that you are and have been willing to say like, all right, here's the shit that's being said and it's all being said without you present. So I would really love to hear what you have to say and then I can come to a better conclusion myself. And that's, that was, that's the, the painful thing about all this is that, you know, when you're being presented as a certain way to the public, and even if it's in a very kind of obtuse way where it's like, you know, these generalized concerns around safety with no specific accusations to be made. It's, uh, yeah, man, it's, 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 it's really challenging to see yourself being spoken about and not be able to participate in the conversation. And even in that Facebook thread, you know, the partners at Myco and the attorneys were like, don't comment on the thread, don't get involved in the conversation, which has always been against my better judgment because that's what helps us all to grow as individuals. It's not gonna help if we come out here and just like, you know, sling mud at each other and make accusations. We can have real legitimate conversations about what these discrepancies are and people are really willing and able to listen to the extent that they can, what room there is for improvement. But that's the only way we can grow. And that's the example that I think if we're not setting that as a psychedelic community, then what real authority do we have to be bringing people to this medicine? And that even more, even more, sorry, I'll just finish even more than our number of experiences with a mushroom, right? We can't be vulnerable and authentic ourselves. Well, you know, I, here's where we differ a little bit, you know, on a couple of points. Um, I, I've never been comfortable getting a sense of identity based on the number of trips that I've had um, because my, my, my personal practice outside of the psychedelic space sort of precludes me from taking on that persona, you know, because it, I, I, I try as often and as much as I can to shed identity, especially about this work, 
you know, because it's about depth of a very, very personal medicine path, a spiritual path, as some people might call it. I don't always refer to it that way, but um, it, it's that personal. It's about my mindset when I wake up and go about my day. It's, and, and consequently, it's my life, you know. Um, so when I, yeah, I'm, I'm not comfortable with judging uh, or gaining authority from from that sort of a of a of a, a point of view. It seems to me too much of of, of a thing to have to uphold later. Um, and the sneaky thing is that it can also fuel the ego. Once you start thinking that it's not only the number of trips, but the doses of my, you know the dosing of my trips, and the idea that there's no one to check any of these ideas. You know, if you're you're teaching yourself and the medicine's teaching you and so forth, because you know some of the communities I, I came up with in Mexico. You know, mushrooms are not seen as a tool for healing. They're seen as an instrument of power. They've been used in warrior classes, you know, um, as a way of, I don't want to say going berserk, <laughs> but of doing things that are difficult to do, of dreaming thing, dreams that are, uh, that, are, that are new and fresh, you know, and novel and become part of culture uh, enough for us to discover them and so forth. You know, so I've always had this idea that we're not here to, to copy the indigenous people because we can't be them. We're not here to try to act like shaman or be shaman, um, but we're here to really just create not only a space but and a container, as you put it, but if we're going to organize into a, into a company or in some organization um, that provides these services, um, then that we really have to make sure the organization operates around a set of principles you know, that keeps us um, from letting ego get in check, you know, the same way we do in our personal lives, you know, where, where the number of trips and a dosing doesn't matter. What matters is maybe how humble we are about it all. It's a lesson I've yeah. learned. It, and, and I think a big part of what has taught me that is working with people who, because of their, I don't know, humility or um, compassion, their empathy, who can come into the space and be very skilled and very supportive without having, you know, all the, all the trips under their belt, you know, has been a great teacher for me. So, sure. yeah. But here's the thing. And, and the thing about therapists and, well, before that, uh, since you mentioned psychedelics today by name, um, you know, Kyle and Joe, I wasn't going to say anybody's name <laughs> about anything, but um, oh, as you know, in interest of full disclosure, uh, they've invited me to their uh, strategic advisory board. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, um, they're, they're new friends of mine. We're working on our, you know, on, on possibilities and seeing what the future can hold for, for creating spaces for people that are useful, you know, and for getting mm -hmm. more and more clinicians trained. And they've, they've helped me out on this end by, uh, by training one of our staff physicians who happens to be a Jamaican, you know, from trained in the UK, uh, living here in Kingston, uh, Michael Henry. Um, really, really skilled, you know, trauma therapist, you know, a trauma recovery therapist that that, you know, it's not just an exploration of the trauma, but he's got a skill in, in identifying and then helping people get past it, really get past it, use the technique called brain spotting. So in any event, um, they've, they've gotten him sort of um, up to par as a clinician in terms of what psychedelics can do uh, through their clinician training program. So I don't want to speak for them on how they feel about you or how they, they don't feel about you because I haven't conferred with them. Um, I know their point of view, of course, because it was their article <laughs> about mm -hmm. you uh, that sort of got this whole thing started. 
but I, I really wanted to say, man, that I think that people have an issue with you personally. It, it hasn't been, it, it ends up coming out that it's about the work, you know, or it's about something to do with, with mushrooms or whatever. But I don't really think it's that, you know, I think. Well, that, again, it'd be so helpful for those conversations to be had, you know, because Joe, Joe in particular, and, you know, I've come up a long way in my kind of relationship with him from a distance, uh, you know, but in particular, you know, I know there's been a lot, a lot of talk about me that I'm not able to be in. And, you know, there, there, there's so many inconsistencies there and I'm sure that they've grown over the last, whatever this has been. Like, this is so, it's so insane to me that this is so many years that this single exposure has lasted. I'm, I'm confident and hopeful that they have grown considerably over the years. Um, I know that two years ago, a mutual friend of ours, Christina, um, reached out and tried to mediate a conversation between them. And it was, you know, flatly said to her that unless I paid for a mediator, that there would be no conversation. You know, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to have a conversation about somebody that's not here. I would love to have that conversation up front. And I think it's, it's a little bit of an unfortunate position that you're in, in trying to relate whatever, whatever it is that people think about me on this, on this personal level. Um, and, you know, forgive me if I, I get uh, a little bit, I feel a little defensive right now and that's, you know, that's okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to embrace that and be okay with it. Um, because while I have my faults and failings, uh, as any human being, you know, I, I also have a lot of wonderful qualities that allow me to be a, an excellent support to the work and to my community. And yeah, it's just, uh, whew, it's tough, man, when you feel like there's this one side being presented of you and you have no chance to not necessarily defend yourself, but speak for yourself. Well, man, you know, it, it's outside of psychedelics today, outside of that singular conversation, my, my personal thought that, you know, you're failing from my point of view was again, the failing community here in Jamaica, you know, um, doing business in a way that didn't seem to me to favor Jamaicans, you know, it just seemed to favor business. And, and maybe you had plans, you know, in the future to do certain things, you know, once things got to a certain place and so forth, you know, but it's always been my thing that if you're going to build it, you build it well from the beginning and you include those things. And the fact that you started the first place here um, and I eventually joined you was actually the catalyst for other people to, to do it as well. You know, ironically, <laughs> it's you doing it that makes other people see that it's possible. Um, and the better you get at doing it, the more well-known you are, then more people will come. So you're always going to be having to push that boulder sort of uphill, you know. Um, but um, what do you think now about uh, how you would do business in Jamaica in terms of um, Jamaicans benefiting? Well, that's a great question. I don't really, I'm a little curious as to how it's perceived that I wasn't working to benefit Jamaica because, you know, I uh, hired far more Jamaicans than are being employed by any other psychedelic company, to my knowledge, down there right now. And that was always a huge focus of mine. You know, the villas, the family there. I, I, you know, <laughs> there, there is this very uh, unbalanced perspective that 
these retreats down there are just making tons of money for the foreigners. And there is to a certain extent that is true. But, you know, myself, when I started Myco, I was charging a thousand dollars for a 10 day retreat. And Eric was, you know, for, for almost the entire time that I worked there, the last two years is a little different, but you know, I slept in that little cabin behind Doreen's that had no screens, no mosquito net, just, you know, constantly, I slept in the, the, the lowest quality conditions. I, I mean, I pay, I paid my Jamaican staff exceedingly well. I actually had the community came to me and were like, you know, you can't pay locals this good. Like Jamaicans came to me and said, you can't pay locals this good. You're going to cause real problems in this community if you keep this shit up. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't, I don't even know what that's about. And I started to understand, you know, how it does create a disparity. And, um, I, I, that, 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 I'm not really sure what to say about that. Um, I've never heard a Jamaican not want to see another Jamaican make or do as well as they can. Um, just a general principle. I mean, I know that there's some exceptions or whatever, but hiring people, you know, the commitment to me as, as a, you know, this is my ancestral home. You know, when I, when I think about working here, being here, it's, you know, something about being of service is what comes to mind, you know? Um, and I can't get somebody who's not from here to get that feeling but you're the closest I'd come to seeing somebody who had that feeling and then have it given back. That's yeah. what I don't understand. <laughs> you know, like even like the recycling, the trash problem down there. I mean, I, I Eric, not Michael, Eric put up two of those fish, one down at the school and one down at the Great Bay thing. They were done in Michael's name, but like, you know, I, this is what I mean. Like all those good things that you might try to do, all the things that you say were wonderful about you that make you good for this work, a lot of that gets can be drowned out. It's so easy for people to not see any of that when, and I want to impress upon you this idea, we talked about it before, your fear, you know, and the ways that it would make you behave and the words that it would make you choose. Those are the things that really, for some reason, for your luck, karma, whatever, I think really stick with people or stuck with them. And that that sort of would overshadow any of these other things. You know, um, my commitment here, I, I mean, and those things are great, putting up the fish for the recycling. And I know exactly what you're talking about, you know, taking on these issues in Jamaica. Um, but for me, it, I don't, you, you paying Jamaicans more than, than other people are paying them. I guess from your point of view, that's a good thing. From my point of view, it's not enough. You know, um, from my point of view, I, I want to see Jamaican stakeholders, you know, I want to see people. And again, it's hard to get stakeholders in a field like this in a place where no one talks about it. It isn't widely known. You know, there are no Jamaican experts on psilocybin, not really, you know, and certainly not historically, um, not that we know of, you know, so the culture for using mushrooms doesn't exist here. You know, so I know it can be hard. It can be a challenge to work with Jamaicans, you know put them in a position in the organization that, you know, that makes them an, an equity partner or, or, you know, a, a clinician that, that's doing their thing. You know, that's been a challenge for me, especially. Also, thankfully, because that was my goal first, uh, things have come into fruition that there are Jamaican clinicians now that, that I'm working with um, and, and sort of trying to invest in the intellectual capacity right here. 
you know, so I unfairly judged you by my own feeling. I, I know I can say that outright, you know, that my level of feeling it somehow I expected because of your community involvement and your level of immersion here um, would match. You know, I should have been more grown up than that. You know, I should have been more mature than to expect anything at all, number one. And number two, for another person's behavior to somehow mirror my own, you know, that's not reality. So, you know, so for that, um, I'm definitely guilty. But, but moving on, there's only so much you can do, I think, to affect change. Jamaica is a place where things change slowly, <laughs> even when they're changing quickly. Um, <laughs> you know, um, there are a lot of companies coming here to do psychedelic work. And I've been in conversation with many of the CEOs of these companies. And what I found is that many of them have never taken mushrooms <laughs> or it is completely a business venture, which completely turns me off, you know, from further conversations. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that stuck out about you is that, again, you had this experiential background, which is worth what it's worth, you know, but I think it leads to a very sort of incomplete development. Um, and that incompletion, um, which we all have, there isn't a therapist that doesn't have flaws. There isn't a PhD psychiatrist, shaman, curandero, sabio, person on earth who isn't sitting with others to do medicine, who doesn't also have personal flaws. Nobody is some angelic being sitting with others for medicine. Okay, so, you know, let's, let's, you know, dispel any of that stuff. It's not about, you know, exceptionalism or a certain kind of morality. You know, it's literally to me about humility. It's literally, I mean, I've made mistakes in the medicine space. I've made decisions that have made people's experience um, with the medicine not be the best outcome for them. You know what I mean? So I know um, I'm the last person to cast stones, you know, um, at anybody else for what they're doing, you know? So in keeping with that sort of idea, it's good to see that it, it feels anyway, like you've grown about a lot of this stuff, you know, about how to do it all. And despite our, again, we still have some differences on, on, about, on what it means to be invested here and hire Jamaicans and all that. And that's, that's going to be different for different people, no matter what, you know, but my care so much is that, you know, people like Vikes, who most people don't know, but you and I know you even more so than I, um, you know, I explained to you that before his passing, you know, this idea that he was going to stick with you despite it all you know, that he was going to um, honor the relationship he had with you, sort of taught me that it really was about community. It's not about someone's fault. It's about when they're in your family, you accept not only the things that they can do for you, uh, the benefits that the relationship can bring to you, but you also, like in all relationships, have to embrace the baggage that the person comes with. Seeing you as a human being that comes with stuff has been useful to me. I always thought that you had a more inflated sense of yourself <laughs> than I would <laughs> than I would attribute to you, but um, you know, again, that's personal stuff. You know, um, it's my judgment and all kinds of things at play. And to me, it comes down to how I behave, how I treat you, how I even treat somebody. Let's say that I don't get along with, that I don't see eye to eye with. Is it good enough for me to discard that individual? Is it who am I to say that you're not fit? for this or that, especially five years after the fact. So this dialogue for me, I appreciate you letting me have it and to, to get a sense of, of unburdening myself of the silliness of it, the importance I, I, I gave to certain aspects of it, and mostly my own sense of judging others. 
as business people, we should do things in a way that's ethical, in a way that that always leans towards best practices. Um, not let our personal stuff get involved, you know, with 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 the work and with business, you know. But on a personal note, man, you are really have been about Jamaica and about life here. And is any of that restored? Is any of that still intact? I mean, I don't know where you are with stuff, you know. Um, how connected are you still uh, with the island? Well, I. I have felt a little bit burned here lately. So, you know, for what it's worth, my farm down there, I still, I still am part of the owner of the farm down there, uh, and two of the other shareholders are both Jamaicans, and all, all of the employees are Jamaican. And I completely agree 100% that Jamaicans should be equity owners in psychedelic businesses. I, I, I completely agree. You know, I did seek that early on, um, but like you said, uh, knowledge and expertise and openness, you know, the fact that Doreen and Viking would even let me have mushroom retreats on their property didn't come without a fair amount of persuasion. For several years, there was still quite a bit of uh, distrust, cultural distrust in mushrooms uh, until some of the some of the local friends that I have there started to also imbibe, which you which always came through the facilitators. They I hire I would hire Jamaicans as facilitators, or we, you know, Jamaicans would be hired as facilitators in hopes to, you know, support support the community. And then those individuals would see the benefit that came to the foreigners that came on retreat and would say, okay, I, I, I want some of this. I need to try some of this. And that slowly helped to shift the tide. I don't know. I guess that's, I guess that's part of the, part of the burn that I feel is I do feel like I really put so much of Jamaica at the forefront of the work that I did because, you know, having studied, you know, the, colonial legacy and, and feeling a, a sense of not responsibility, but a, I guess a responsibility to provide and, and help provide some reparations for what was done by all of our ancestors. You know, again, like you said earlier, the outside does not reflect the inside. There is a one single race of humans on this planet, but we also can't deny uh, the legacy of you know, certain ethnicities and their impact. It's always been really, I don't know, kind of the forefront of my mind in my work in Jamaica that somehow to, to prevent that from happening again and to make reparations for what had occurred. Uh, my family lost an enormous amount of property and integrity in the cannabis cultivation through corporate mafia. They were also smuggling a lot of cannabis in from Jamaica uh, back in the 80s, you got caught with that. Um, so, you know, currently with Jamaica, I go down there to the extent that I can for the farm. Uh, I'm in constant communication with uh, Kevin and Kumar uh, uh, Banks and, and the folks that are working at the farm and talk with my partners quite a bit. Uh, we're actually in conversation with a Canadian uh, diasporic group that is kind of um, spearheading the indigenous right to use in Canada. Uh, and they are 
we are working to possibly combine efforts and create a partnership that would benefit Jamaica first and foremost, and then the uh, members of the African diaspora in Canada through medicine work. So I don't know, man, a big, a big part of my, a big part of my work has always been towards trying to regain some kind of equilibrium. And it's been very, as you know, out of balance uh, for a long time. And it's funny as you talk about this kind of ego, you know, like I, I, I grew dreadlocks in order to reject white privilege. That was my, when I took on dreadlocks, I did this saying, I'm doing this to reject white privilege. After a while, you know, I started to be accepted within the minority communities. They saw that they could just sense who I, my experience, I think, and welcomed me. And then when I started Pledge, which was designed to be a scholarship fund for minority communities to gain low cost access to psilocybin. I knew or felt strongly that my dreadlocks would prevent uh, donors, if you will, from taking me seriously. And so I cut, cut my hair and kind of became the sheep in wolves clothing, uh, considered it. <laughs> and, uh, and here I thought you, here I thought you cut your dreads when it came, when you had your contact with law enforcement. No, no, not at all. I, 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 I thought it was a convenient time to pick your privilege back up again. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, my mugshots me in dreadlocks, and they they asked me what my religion was, and I told them Rasta. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, that, that's that's never been a thing. I, I, I'm very proud. Not I know proud isn't the right word, but I still when people when we really get down to it. You know, I tell people I identify as an African and, you know, people laugh at me, people, whatever, and that's fine. And, I, and that's where I'm kind of leading to is that, that I, I think, so there's two aspects to this. One is, you know, I grew up in a personality with a narcissistic father um, and had to develop a very strong personality not to be overtaken by him all the time. And I have had some real insecurities around being a uh, considered a redneck. And so I think I've bolstered, I have bolstered that, excuse me, that identity, that sense of that ego uh, at times to serve as a uh, uh, protection device. And at the same time, there is the reality, I feel like there's a reality that if, if I'm going to be at the tip of the spear, and there have been many people who have come to me and said, wow, you're really the tip of the spear on this thing here. And that's even, people are saying that now with Sanctuary as we come back into the States and started this faith-based organization. I, I, think there, I think that there is, to some extent, you know, I, I view the ego as a tool. I, I view it very much as a tool that can be employed at certain times. I fully recognize that I am full of so many failings. I'm such, I, I, have, I have lots of flaws that need improvement. Um, and the more that I recognize that, the more that I'm able to make those improvements. Um, but thankfully, through my work with the mushrooms in particular, you know, I, I did very much have a, you know, I know what's going on attitude um, for a huge part of my life. You know, Courtney and I talked about this a lot kind of jovially you know, when we first met you know that's that's how I was like 
I know what's up. Don't, don't try and tell me what's up because I know what's up. You know, fortunately, <laughs> uh, that, has, that, has, that has been diffused significantly. Well, life does that. Life, life does that. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you will allow it to, you know, if you will really, you know, is this egoic to say that I have allowed myself to authentically investigate my behavior and I have very much used the reaction of others to explore my projection of self. If I can egotistically say that that takes a fair amount of humility to be able to do that. There are lots of us who, you know, it takes a long time. My, like I said, my dad, shit, he's 60 something years old and he still thinks that he knows what's right for everybody else, <laughs> you know. It, no, it's just funny how, you know, um, I listen to you, to you speak and the thing that comes out to me so much about you is that um, it's irony, you know, um, it's ironic <laughs> that you would have such a connection to Jamaica and yet there'd be such an, a sense about you relative to Jamaica in others, you know, that is somehow skewed from what you think is reality. So um, say, that that again. You, say that again. Yeah, it's just this, the idea, you know, the irony that you would have such a connection to Jamaica, you know, and then be viewed um, as colonial minded, um, both through misunderstanding on some other people's part through not knowing you. And, and I'm going to just say this outright directly through you acting like it, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, quite, quite literally fucking acting as if you know, there was some sort of entitlement and you knew what was going on <laughs> and it was going to be your way or or do it somewhere else, you know, far yeah. away from here kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, <laughs> and, and I'm glad we can laugh about it now, man, but you were, you were a prick about that shit back then. No, I know, I know, I know. It's, you know, it's, uh, so. it is, it's, it's crazy. And I, and I don't think that until this conversation, I don't think that I have ever been able to really fully Acknowledge that I was behaving in the way that I was trying to prevent. I, I have acknowledged that my fears projected externally and manifested consciously. I have, I have acknowledged that particularly in the last year or so. Until this, until really today, even in the conversations that we've had prior, I, I haven't been able to acknowledge consciously that I was behaving in a colonial separatist. There's still a part of me that wants to justify it and say, oh, well, you know, I did it to protect, but it doesn't matter because whatever, if, you, if that's how you're behaving, then that's the world that you're bringing into existence. Okay. And so, you know, that, that's what we're trying to, we're, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring into existence a world of compassion and unity and understanding which again, you are, you have really exemplified that in reaching out to me in the last couple of weeks. I uh, just like, I don't know, man, you're, you're an example. And I just, I just have even further respect for you through all this. No, I appreciate that, man. You know, the, the idea that there's no separation between, like I said, between the way we walk and the way we talk. You know, um, I guess that's the, at least for me, that's been a goal, you know, that the sense of self-unity and, and again, more irony, the further along this path I go, 
sort of divesting myself of the illusions about myself as uncomfortable as it might be. And, you know, I don't, I don't take medicine as much as I used to because now the process feels a bit more organic and, and lifestyle based. Um, you know, now my mushroom consumption is sometimes for the sheer joy of it, you know, for, for the sake of relationship, for going back into that space, you know, that, that you have suffered in, that you've cried in, that you've, uh you face death in that you face you know human ecstasy in you know that mushroom space that only somebody who goes there and has been there can really really relate to you know so i i, I appreciate the this connection that you've had with it when i talked to doreen you know she would always mention that no matter what you know other people have come and and, and gone but nobody really had that connection to the medicine itself in the way that she's seen you have you know, and this is business aside, it, you, you're still remembered in a kind of way as somebody who really, I don't think anybody can fault you for that, you know, regardless of whatever other faults that they've picked up in you or whatever. And it's a shame to focus on any one person's fault so much because it feels to me like it just feels hypocritic because it means I'm not looking at myself. If I've got so much time to look at you, you know, I'm, I'm not really... Uh, living up to my own ethos, you know, in terms of policing myself, that's become more important to me now than than holding anything or holding you to any particular kind of standard. Again, based on my ideation, mm-hmm. I'm glad that uh, you know that as a man you've grown, as a being you've grown. At least it certainly sounds so. I would love to be able to sit down sometime in the future, you know, and perhaps take some medicine you know, and, mm. and see, see what that's all about. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'm appreciative of this opportunity for, for you reciprocating so that we can put the stuff down, you know, selfishly, personally, I wanted to put it down for, for some time and I'm glad to be able to do so. I'm not sure that we'll see eye to eye on everything going forward, but I don't think that that's a requirement for cooperation. No, um, no, yeah. You know, if, if so, governments couldn't work together and people you know just couldn't work i think that we can you know still organize around principles around things that are true and and put other people first you know constantly shedding this idea that we need to make something of ourselves i think if you are doing it you are the thing already you know so this idea of striving to be it is almost silly you know sort of sort of immature so looking for that growth in myself and in you and in others is sort of um the thing now Um, and trying to encourage it. This conversation is part critique, part encouragement, part reconciliation, part hope for the future. It's just, it's life happening. Mm -hmm. There was a relationship between the two of us that was budding, that I think that was, you know, beyond, um, it really was not business-based. That was sort of tangential. And that was arrested, you know, because business stepped into it. And the differences there sort of prevented personal reconciliation a personal addressing of things, you know? Um, so that's, as far as I'm concerned, water under the bridge now. I'm really concerned about the future. I mean, our world is, people don't talk about it, but climate change is still real. Our oceans were full before, but now there are a billion more masks in it. As a sustainability consultant, uh, you know, in my other life, I'm really concerned with how people live, with how people are gonna survive the next 25 years with a, a world that's warming, um, with an economic structure that we used to be able to rely on. You know, my dad retired from a a job with a pension, you know, after 26 years. I don't see my kids retiring with pensions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I I know 
most of my peers haven't been able to reproduce that, you know, so the world has always been changing, you know, and I'm concerned with the changes that are coming and with people sort of not understanding um, not only how to get their personal stuff in order, but getting it in, in order so much so that they can now be useful to themselves. They can come together as community groups, come together and plan, you know, buy land, do things, <laughs> build for yourself, learn techniques, learn how to sort of weather the storms that are coming. I think psychedelics are a tool for liberation. My, my brother, Darren, Darren um, Springer, you know, would say that they are the tools for exploration purely from an African point of view, you know, and definitely tools of power, you know, um, and for different people, I think it's going to be different stuff. It's going to be different things and different themes, you know, maybe seven and a half billion different points of view <laughs> on what the mushroom experience is all about, you know, but for, for some of the stuff you've tried to do, you know, that, that is sort of behind the scenes and people don't know about, thank you. For those things, uh, thank you for admitting to some of your faults, you know, like today, here, now, publicly, because it's important for people to see that it's nothing but humans, you know, trying to to get over themselves, you know, and trying to be of service and fumbling that up, messing it up, you know, sort of like a toddler until we can sprint, you know, um, and sadly, while we're toddling, people can see us. <laughs> you know, um, when, when we are actual toddlers, we're not self-conscious. So no biggie. We don't think about it. But, you know, as we toddle through trying to build this and how to do it, nobody, nobody has done it. You know, you're literally trying to do something new and trying to find better and better ways of doing it. So um, it's really easy to judge and really easy to be on the outside of something and say things about it. But from the point of view of Jamaica and Jamaican community and Jamaican psychedelics now, you know, the rest of the world is going to take care of itself. You know, my heart and mind are about Jamaica. How do you feel about Jamaicans themselves? You know, what can be done to get the average Jamaican who is suffering, uh, suffering from alcoholism, drug dependence, depression, you know, colonialism, you know, the side effects of those things. They can't afford $1,000 retreats as generous as that is, you know, or, or, or any of, you know, it just, it, the economy of scale is just so different. You know, yeah, my, yeah. my, I'm, I'm concerned with those things, you know, um, at DPS, we've got a, it's a $129 membership fee, but I use that 100% to buy microdosing supplies <laughs> to give out to, to Jamaicans who are referred to me, who come to me, who are looking for, for alternatives, who may not be ready for a full-on experience. There's one young lady who experienced a horrible tragedy um, with friends sort of perishing offshore here on the island, and she survived, and she's looking for help. But, you know, there's no therapist really doing pro bono work as far as I know, um, you know, and I'm willing to sit with her with medicine, but I think that she really needs the benefit of a professional, you know, because of the fact of, of, of the depth of what she's going through, just she deserves that level of attention and care. What, what can be done here in Jamaica? I mean, you've got sanctuary, you've got a presence still here in Jamaica, I'm here in Jamaica, you know, what can be done for, for our people? That's such a wonderful question. Obviously, there are you know, various levels of need, you know, when you've got someone who is highly traumatized to try to introduce them into the psilocybin space without real qualified support uh, can induce more harm than good, despite what's been perceived, you know, public safety and personal safety has always been at the forefront of my work with 
psilocybin, and that has to be obviously considered. And that is, as I see it, one of the greatest limiting factors in widespread access, aside from the fine, well, if you're going to have someone who is highly skilled, then, you know, they, they, they have to be compensated um, fairly. And the average Jamaican, you know, I don't know if people know this, but, you know, the average Jamaican salary or income is 6,000 U.S. a year. At least that's the last time mm-hmm. I, I looked it up. Uh, yeah. a, a, a certified nurse in Jamaica is making somewhere around, I think, four to four to five thousand dollars a year. It's just, it's just insane. I mean, the cost of living in Jamaica, as you know, is is greater than it is in the U.S. You know, labor is the only thing that is less expensive. That creates more of an imbalance where you're just paying people less and they're trying to survive on more. You and I both know Ben, and and Ben is someone that. You know, I've, I've worked with from very early on at Myco and still have a really good relationship with. And you know, we're talking about ways that we can train up Jamaicans uh, because that's the, that's the bottleneck, right? Is having, if not therapists, at least trained, compassionate, safe people who can, can sit and do so at a more affordable rate as we slowly bring up the standard of living there. So that's something that I would love for us to work on together is training more Jamaicans to be competent and comfortable in the space so that they can support their counterpart parts there on the island. It's got to, it's obviously got to be from the ground level. And, you know, the, the, there is a reality here that's not talked about, you know, we try to bring into the conversation around sanctuary. Mushrooms are really cheap to produce overall. Mm-hmm. A, yeah, home, yeah. A, a home grow anyway if you're doing a big commercial grow that's gmp and all that stuff for research i mean you're talking you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars depending on the scale but for a home grow to provide access for local people on a regular basis can be done very affordably so bringing those two aspects together to provide training and care through the training at an affordable cost if not completely subsidized i you know i i i still think that the foreign owned retreats there should be some way of those foreign owned retreats subsidizing on island care for locals that's a hard thing it's a hard thing to try to regulate or put in place but it's possible does the world realize the value of what Jamaica offers to global health by it being the only place where you can completely without regulations at this point, grow and consume psilocybin. And this is, this is a, this is huge to, to repay the Island for that. And we can, you know, we can credit Michael Manley publicly if we want to, for not signing that, Psychedelic Non-Proliferation Act in 71 or, you know, something that people don't know about me. There is a intersect of shamanism and Rastafarianism that I don't know how many people talk about. And I, I, I'd love to share, I'd love to share this with you right now. I don't think that I've ever shared this with you, you know, without going into too much depth of interpretation, but, you know, um, you're probably aware that in the Old Testament, there is the story of manna that relates to 
very much relates to mushrooms. Not, I don't believe, I don't believe psychedelic mushrooms. It seems to be the puffball mushroom that we use to food mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. <clears throat> describe in that way. Um, but in Revelation, the only other place that manna is mentioned outside of the story in the Old Testament, it, it says that when the King of Kings returns, that he will he will reveal the hidden manna and he will give mm-hmm. these people a new name or whatever, right? And uh, you know, there's this whole like come as a thief in the night, Ray, 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 and all that stuff. Well, you know, Maria Sabina was told, she said by mushrooms, that it was time for her to reveal these mushrooms to the to the world. You know, in 1930, we got Haile Selassie on the cover of Time magazine, and it, like, says under his headshot, man of the year, king of kings, lord of lords. And then in 1940 or 1950, whenever it was, uh, I think it was the 50s, Maria Sabina is in the Life magazine article revealing this hidden mushroom to the world. And Jamaica, it is no coincidence. I mean, this was this was a personal revelation under, under a mushroom trip to me in 2011 that Jamaica would be the lighthouse, if you will, to signal the world that this manna is being revealed and re-released into human culture for for global healing and so that's why michael michael started because of that because it said like jamaica's gonna do this and you've got a role to play so get to work and i've tried for years i said no for a long time pretty much all 2011 i was just like no 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 no. i can't i'm not doing this i can't do this and every time i would eat mushrooms i'm like yeah and so finally, I just was like, oh, fuck, I guess I can't escape this. Mushrooms, every time I eat the mushrooms, they're telling me this is what's happening. And so bottom line is Jamaica for a very long time uh, has been a symbol to the post-colonial world that free freedom is humanity's inherent state of being. We are born free and we deserve to live free. And... I would love to find a way to help continue to repay Jamaica for all that it has done. That starts the ground level. Originally, I understood it as, you know, money to the island. Bring money to the island and help the island prosper economically. But if people aren't healthy, then they don't know what to do with money. They don't know how to make money. It just, you know, so like I said, alcoholism and, and, you know, all kinds of trauma response that is uh, prevalent on the island there has to be a deeper healing first that can then allow the culture to use those well I, I don't i don't i don't know about that man i'm i'm sure you would take the money before you were healed <laughs> yeah no 100 you know my, my point is that you know jamaica Jamaica first, the laws here in Jamaica mm-hmm. or for the benefit of Jamaica. I think if people want to lobby in their home countries and force their legislatures and their politicians to make changes, that they should do so. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a staunch Pan-Africanist um, in ideology. Um, I believe that Jamaica should be free to benefit exploit, regulate, and establish what happens in Jamaica. 
Mm -hmm. um, I'm well aware that many times countries like Jamaica considered thir third world and so forth will get professional advice from outside the country on how to do these things. Um, sadly, the only form of advice these days comes in a form of corporations um, who will come in and set up money-making ventures that mostly benefit the corporations, uh, not Jamaicans, regardless of good intentions, regardless of thinking that if I hire Jamaicans, it's bringing money to the island. It doesn't. It may employ a few Jamaicans, but it isn't changing anything um, by and large um, for the culture or for the amount of suffering, as you said, that occurs. And not to make it sound like alcoholism and all the other things that are so, you said, you know, in quotes, rampant here. I say they're, they're rampant where you are now, <laughs> you know? Um, so uh, yeah. I, mean, I, would, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't judge here so harshly because there's a lot of inherent good um, in Jamaica, a lot of untapped potential oh, here in yeah. Jamaica, you know, oh, and I know you know it, and I know you see it, you know. Um, oh, ingenuity. So, but, yeah. but, but, but I, again, I, this idea that somebody from the outside needs to lift up Jamaicans to help them do it sort of doesn't rub me the right way. Um, but I, I am all for allies. I'm, I'm all for people with their heart um, in the right place about well, I mean, Jamaica because yeah. you know remembering that they're they're in Jamaica you know um yeah but you, you, know were, people, born, you were you were born in Philadelphia right I was born I was born in the United States absolutely my parents were born in Panama my grandfather and everyone before him born in Jamaica so yes I definitely have an an expat story you know by nationality I'm U.S. <laughs> from the U.S. there's no doubt about it um ethnically culturally um but more than that, um, ideologically, from the point of view at which I see the world, as far as I'm concerned, I see the world as an African. I see the world, uh, not even so much as the Jamaican, I see the world as, as a being, and then through the filter of an African, because the world constantly reminds me that I'm an African. So it's very hard to, hard to forget. Um, you know, and, and there was a time when I would have wanted to forget it. Why should it matter so much? But now it matters very much because it's inseparable, you know. Um, it's as important, unimportant at the same time, you know, as the rest of my life. But what is important is what it means to people who look like me, who are from here, are already here from Jamaica, not me. <laughs> you know, I'm, my, my concern is what, what I can bring to bear uh, with people like you who want to do better and see better things happen here you know the idea is cooperation um with that in mind first and sort of you know if, if people come here to jamaica do you think it's reasonable to to require that when companies set up here not only do they set up one two and three year projections but also set up a plan for how they intend to benefit the local economy outside of just simple you know, hiring for day rates and day laborers and so forth. Do you think it's reasonable? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, but it's again, I mean, it's like it's a little tricky though because you know you're saying we don't we don't need foreigners coming in and, and propping up Jamaicans or propping up Jamaica. How does that not end up to some extent being the case if you know we're talking about foreigners coming in and then being required to somehow contribute? Well, there's a certain inevitability, like I said, you know, there, you can't stop the idea that people know that Jamaica um, has an unregulated market when it comes to psilocybin. And mm -hmm. so people naturally 
or unnaturally, I don't know, will find their way and will do things. You found your way. The average Jamaican was not making use of this law or the absence of any laws regulating psilocybin. Not very many people were doing anything about it. I'm sort of torn you know, of, of, of two minds sometimes about it. But what I know is that I, I, for certain, what I do know is that I don't want to see things go the way of cannabis. But even if, sure. they do go, even if they do go the way of cannabis, and there's nothing I can do about that, because there was nothing I could do about cannabis, <laughs> um, I can certainly operate personally in my life and in my practice in such a way that I honor what I know is important. You know, and that means to me, paying Jamaicans, if qualified, what one might pay their counterparts, not from Jamaica. And again, I understand the economy of scale and the difficulty in doing this or that, but I think if you're going to do the right thing, you just do it, you know, and you take what comes from it. You know, change, uh, yeah. change, change is inevitable, you know, and if you're trying to change things, then you've got to be willing to risk your neck, even if that means paying people more and it might disrupt this or that. Okay, well, you know what not paying them enough will do. <laughs> There's enough example of that. This dialogue of being willing to, to just have this, this view that the psychedelic space in Jamaica has to be inclusive of Jamaicans. Um, and again, I'm, if, if I were against people coming to Jamaica and setting up shop, then there wouldn't be resorts here either. And there wouldn't be hotels and there wouldn't be restaurants of all types, you know. And some people will see that as, you know, economic uh, colonialism and so forth. And I'm not going to get into that kind of conversation because it's just too big. <laughs> uh, because and again, some things are just inevitable and happening at a governmental level. And the people just have to accept it. I don't know if the people voted on Burger King here, but Burger mm. King's here, you know. But you know, so deals are happening at a level outside of most people's scope. But on the on, on the level and the scale where we can do what we can do, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what we can do to put our heads together as two people who know this place certainly know it a lot better than some of the people who are coming here now, um, who have no connection whatsoever. And I'm not saying that to pat us on the back, but it's just a statement of fact. Um, you organized first into a, a company to be able to do this professionally. I came on board, got off board, went to Mexico, did my own thing. Um, but this whole time of doing my own thing was always taking forward with me the things I learned while sitting here with you in Jamaica, while observing you, um, while observing myself in reaction to you and to all the subsequent stuff that ever happened with people. And to, to put it all into sort of one, one, one package and, and wrap it up, I appreciate growth and I appreciate um, renewal and the idea that, you know, as humans, we can really mess things up. We can really take simple, pure things and by putting ourselves all over it, distort mm -hmm. those things, distort ourselves in the process. The bigger story of our humanity is our ability to notice that and allow that to push us in a better direction and to grow and be available to other people. I, I don't, I want people to be their own leaders. I don't really subscribe to guruism or following a, a, a leader kind of mentality. So anything that we can do to help people help themselves, to, to make sure that healing starts from within Jamaica outwards. If you're on board with that kind of a thing, then you can go ahead and count me as an ally. Um, and, you know, I'm bearing the hatchet officially on all the things that are said. There are people who might not understand me even talking to you again because of how they feel about you. As far as I'm concerned, that's their bag to carry. They can do what they want to do with it. You know, um, my conversation with you uh, is coming from a point or a place of community, a place of um, 
of having connected on other things, you know, um, and in, in hopes that those, not in hopes, I'm seeing that those other things have persisted, you know, and they still overshadow all of the smallness that we both have, the sense of grandness that we both may or may not have, and all the other stuff in between. It's just a, a couple of talking apes talking it out and, and not slinging dung and trying to be better, you know, and, and trying to put those childish things behind us for the good of, of, of everything around us. You know, we have a certain amount of time to be here to, to show what we are and to have life perfect our character. If you're in that game, man, then I'm, I'm open to, to any and all possibilities with you here and, and elsewhere on what can be done. 100%. And, you know, I hope my comment, I, I do, you know, you said that Jamaicans wouldn't take the money without being healed or they shouldn't. I, I'm all in favor of bringing more and more money to the island for the island and the people there. You know, whatever goes along with that to facilitate the healing. Um, if, I, if I may break in real quick, man, you know, sure. to be honest, it just, it just occurred to me like that may be not even your responsibility. I mean, I mean, like, I, I don't know what, yeah, like, like that may not even be your responsibility. You I don't know, know what like, my responsibility is. My responsibility, as I see it, is just to grow and be the better person, and that's it. That's like that's it. That's because just like what you said, that I think was really important that we didn't really talk about in terms of being a facilitator of a of a in that space. Whatever you are in your in the entirety of your life, that is what you take into that space. And so if I'm going to be a space holder in any sense, whether it's in directly in the psychedelic space, whether it's as a lead administrator for this church sanctuary, whether it's going to be in these conversations through a podcast, the responsibility that I have to myself and to others is to be what I want to see in this world. And our level of consciousness doesn't always allow us to be the you know highest example. Uh, but if we continue to grow, acknowledge our shortcomings, look to our strengths and build on those, then we can, as time allows, become higher in a level of consciousness that helps to lift up the consciousness of everyone around us. So, you know, whether like if, if, if I somehow serve as a vehicle for money to come to Jamaica, which I already have, then so be it. If I somehow serve as a vehicle to help train up Jamaicans, to be able to provide support to Jamaicans, then so be it. What, whatever it is that the reality behind reality has in store for need to be of service that's all i want to do it's really all i want to do and i fully again i acknowledge that you know certain aspects of my humanness have gotten in the way of me really truly being of service i am confident and grateful that people like yourself who are willing to really authentically explore what it means to be a human and to have an evolving understanding of self and relationships will help me to continue evolving and becoming a better manifestation of whatever it is that this great mystery has in mind for us all. Uh, so yeah, I'm fully on board with what your, your big vision is. Surely there will be some little details that we don't agree on. <laughs> uh, but no, man, I, I, I feel 
like we are very much um, have, have been moving in the same direction. There's been points where our uh, growth and state of being didn't necessarily run parallel, uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll see how this all plays out. We'll see how how time uh, unfolds. You know, uh, as they say, as they say down there, it's long. It's longer than a rope, so we'll just let it run. Um, <laughs> let it run. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, yeah, I just want to again just express my my real sincere gratitude for you and being a real living human being. Uh, that's what this work needs. That's what this world needs. And uh, so, kudos, much respect much gratitude respect brother well again here's to the future right indeed indeed look forward to more conversations with you on mark sounds good brother be well all right take care